Everybody, welcome back to today's podcast. We have another fantastic guest today. Today's guest is an expert golf coach. I say expert because when it comes to short games specifically, we believe that there's no one better on the planet that you can listen to. Now, today's guest is James Seekman. Now, James is a PGA golf coach based in Omaha, Nebraska, who works with multiple touring professionals on all the tours. He's an author of three books. He's appeared on the Golf Channel. He's a coach to the coaches. He's also the 2018 PGA of America Teacher of the Year. And we've admired his work for a long time now. And he's helped us not only with our coaching, but also with our games, as you'll find out in today's podcast as well. And one thing that stands out with James is you'll hear today, he's a very humble guy. And he just really, really cares about making golfers better. And in this episode, we're talking about chipping, an area that certainly we'd all like to be better at. But when it comes to coaching golfers, we see a massive opportunity in order to really help golfers get better. So if you want to get better around the green, today's episode will 100% help you. And if you enjoy this, then make sure you hit that subscribe. This really does help the podcast grow and allows us to get great guests in. But without further ado, please welcome James Seekman to the podcast. So James, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? You okay? Yeah, it's all good. All good. Good, good. day here in Omaha. Rare, oh, nice. rare, good. nice weather day. Yeah. <laughs> good, good, good. Well, we've got the we got the sun out here in San Diego, which is nice. It hasn't always been like that this winter. But James, before we get into this podcast, um, we didn't tell you this off air, but you have been instrumental in me being able to, I suppose, chip again. So I've had some dark days over the last few years and you have been very much at the forefront of my rehabilitation <laughs> and some of the stuff that you have done has been absolutely fantastic for me. And I think anyone listening to this now who has has, has had issues, has had dark days, is currently having those dark days with their short game, they should definitely listen to the whole of this podcast because I know there's going to be some things in here that you're definitely going to be able to help them with. So I suppose I thought of no better way to start the podcast than just thank you in person. Thank you so much for all the help you've done for my me. My pleasure. Actually, it makes me happy. That's what I, that's why I put all my stuff out there. Good man. Good man. Yeah, it's been awesome. It really has. It really has. So before we get into sort of um, the, the main sort of piece to this, really then, James, we want to start by, we want to really focus on chipping today, just for the simple facts. Um, it's a... It's a, it's quite painful for a lot of golfers chipping for the golfers yeah. who come to us for lessons. It tends to be a very big pain point. Um, and something that we that we really believe strongly is that a good motion is is in order to have a good chipping motion, you need to have good chipping beliefs and concepts and the right image in your mind. Right. And I suppose to start with, before we get into some technique stuff, um. What would you say that you hear in terms of beliefs or concepts when it comes to am- amateur golfers or even tour professionals that are they're actually holding them back? What are they? What do they believe? What are the thoughts that they're having that are limiting them? Yeah, they they it's a pandemic first off, and we could I'd love to just talk about why. Why is it? A, you know, in 1970 there wasn't chipping pandemics. There's certainly your. Uh, uh, people that struggled, but now it's like, wow, you go to any course and like half the people can't chip at all. Right. Uh, you know, first off the, the number one thing you hear, even from tour players, sometimes great players, which I feel like great players, a lot of times, uh, make horrible coaches because they teach their feelings instead of the facts. Uh, and they're, you know, the feelings are biases. If, if it feels like this, but they not, may not really be doing it. And so they go, well, I'm great. And this is what I feel. So therefore everybody should feel the same thing. And, and as a coach, you know, that's faulty thinking, but you know, like, oh, it's just a mini full swing. That's, that's the one that hurts everybody, you know, or just rock the shoulders, you know, make a putting stroke with your wedge. I think all that stuff is super harmful. Uh, and, you know, you hear now, listen, there there's more than one way to do it. I just know a way. And it seems to help average players, great players. Uh, and so I'm not going to say that my beliefs and foundational things with regards to wedge shots around the green, which I call finesse wedge, would is say, hey, it's better than some other way. You know, to, but but I think you get examples of people doing it almost in any any way and still be elite. But I do think there's ways that make it simpler, uh, make make uh, the bad shots more forgiving. 
create repeatability and control. And I do think there's foundational things that are, are essential for that. So. And what would be some examples of that then, James, in terms of, let's say, where some of the golfers, let's say, even just place their attention? Uh, you, you mean an example of a of bad tech, a technique where people, faulty thinking technique-wise? that I think so. Maybe uh, on the faulty thinking spot. Like, the famous one, in my opinion, would be like hinge and hold. I just think that's a horrible idea. Uh, you know, my lesson appointment book is f full of those people that have said, yeah, this is what I'm trying to do, you know, or, uh, you know, like I said, I'm just trying to make a putting stroke with my wedge or wh whatever. So uh, that, that would be the, the ones I can think of. Or you hit it by turning your, you know, so just turn your body back and turn your body through. That That's another one that uh, doesn't work so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when it comes to, um, I suppose, a good focus, then if we go into some of the some of the positive things that people could think about, where what could they start to just maybe start to change in their mind of what what would be a good belief or concept uh, that precedes well, motion? I would say you know rhythm is a huge part of having a great short game and touch and consistency around the green, and in part of that rhythm if you want to kind of dumb dumb it down oh, and at tpi i talk about the kinematic sequence of a finesse shot and how it differs and all that but average player doesn't need need or even want that information what they could say would be listen there's there's got to be tempo in the transition the club goes up you know one and a little breath a pause there and two it starts slowly it picks up speed as it goes and then the the fastest moment is actually after the strike um that I think is a, a big one. Uh, and there's simple ways to learn that without thinking or trying to give yourself commands. For example, you could take an orange whip wedge, which, you know, I don't own, I'm not promoting it necessarily, but you said, Hey, uh, take this club. And it's so whippy that if you, they lose that rhythm or that the, the kinematic sequence of the proper motion, the ball just goes way to the right, you know, or, or they hit way behind it. So that that's a, uh, a simple way to learn that piece, I would say, the rhythmic piece and where the speed is in the swing. Uh, I think that's that's one thing they could do. I think I think as as we sort of you've gone into a little bit of speed there, and you said that the speed is happens sort of it's fastest after the shot. I'd love to go into a little bit of speed because one thing that we see and hear all the time is, oh, I did I decelled on that. So I de I, I decelled I decelled all the time we hear that, um. So a lot of golfers come to us for for coaching and we see a lot of acceleration, a lot of short swings, and a lot of over acceleration in terms of, right. um, let's say the hands and and how can the best how, how can the golfers start to understand from a speed side of things how they can improve? Yeah, well, you're you're right. I mean, I would say that's the biggest cause of one of the biggest causes of people that don't can't hit the ball on the green when they're chipping is the over acceleration. The reality is it, it kind of gathers, it gets up to speed. And then at the bottom, there's like nothing. There's almost no change of speed at the bottom. It would be the same for, for putting. I'm, I'm sure you agree. Uh, but once again, I'll just get back to counting or uh, one and two, or I'll get that training aid. Uh, but a lot of times people, they get the speed wrong. It's not just of the club head itself. It's also the segments in your body, your chest, your arms. And so if I was stand up on this, maybe bad TV here, but if I stood <laughs> up and said, hey, where's the peak speed of the lead arm and the chest as I start down and start slowly, the left arm and the chest are starting to go, and I did that, well, that's just a premature deceleration of the arm and the chest. Now, that's a decel. Because if I release the thought and my chest kept moving and my arms kept moving, then it just looks like McDonald's. So uh, there are segments that can't prematurely deceleration, but I hardly ever see anybody decelerate the club. You know, it's just the opposite way. It's like that little snatch at the bottom. So I want smooth, positive rhythm with kind of tempo in the transition. It would be how I would describe it. How does how does grip pressure relate to that conversation? Generally? Yeah, grip pressure is uh, very important, and it can't change, in my opinion. So if it's if you're holding the club, you got to have some control of the club. But let's say it's 
on a scale from one to 10, you're gripping it at three, so very light. It should be a three at setup, a three at the top of the swing, a three in the transition, a three on the finish. The problem with that, of course, would be, all right, what happens when I'm buried in the rough? Now all of a sudden I'm gonna to have to grip it a touch more, but if you grip it a six in that scenario, it shouldn't be an eight on the finish or shouldn't be a you know an eight when you're trying to drag it down, right? Yeah. I find that sure. I usually find the the grip pressure change and the poor rhythm to be like the effect of the problem. It, it is a problem in its own, but usually if the club's like under and shut and the a person is too shallow, let's say, and they're trying to figure out a way to get the low point in front of the ball. You know, they got to steepen it somehow. So they'll steepen it with their hands in the transition or they'll dive their legs into the, into the shot, you know, to try and get the low point forward. So usually I would say they don't learn that way, but they, over the course of time have uh, create an adaption to the poor form that, you know, makes, creates another error essentially. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think like, well, let, let, let's get into the technique a little bit. But actually, before we do get into the technique, um, club selection. So obviously, what are your thoughts on this regarding should golfers listening to this who perhaps haven't got loads of time like a tour player? Should they practice with one club and play with one club often and, and learn how to adapt that? Or should they be looking at using different lofts? Yeah, they, they need to use different lofts. Now, you're exactly right. you got to practice everything you're going to use, right? Otherwise, how would you understand what your touch would be? But you should have a straight face club that you use around the greens occasionally, or you're going to get in this environment. Let's say my favorite is the, you know, the 14 year old kid that's like, here's my chipping club. It's a lob wedge, right? I can put them uphill into the grain where it looks like you got to hit a low shot and they, they're not going to get it on the green. So at some point you need a nine iron, let's say. So that's one of your three. And then usually you take your two most lofted wedges, uh, you know, whether it's 58 and 52 or, you know, or whatever the scenario would be, and you'd use those three. Uh, a pro might use them all, but I, I don't usually like that either, even for a tour player, because I feel like that's confusing. I think you're better off having a favorite, kind of getting to know how they roll out, how they react out of different lives and whatnot. So you need some... Uh, variability so that you can play all the shots but yeah don't i, I wouldn't use them all yeah no, that's good that's Bye. good i think that's in, yeah that's that's good and, and what, so when it comes to the setup then let's let's talk about the, the perhaps just the basics that you would like to see let's talk about from the fairway because then we're going to talk about the rough as well but let's just sort of a fairway that's a great question i wanted to go through the mechanics but can i just in my opinion describe what the impact condition would be and and why oh. i feel like there's um a pandemic of bad shippers out there. So absolutely. when I grew up, uh, I had two wedges in my bag. All right. I had a wedge and I had a sand wedge. Fair enough. All mm -hmm. right. At 56 and probably back in that day, it's probably a 48, right? What club did I chip with? 1975, you know, I'm chipping with my wedge and I used my sand wedge in the bunker. Fair enough. So now we have raised greens, I can only use my wedge, and I'm basically playing every type of shot with this one club. If you're going to hit a soft shot with a pitching wedge, or like Bobby Jones' day, it was basically a lofter, it was a gap wedge, okay? If you're going to hit a soft shot with a gap wedge, what would the face-path relationship be? Would the face be open to the path or close to it? Open. It has to be open. It'd be open. It'd have to be, right? So back in the day, people used wedges, and they, the face is open to the path. I want the angle of attack to be about fairly shallow, like five or six degrees down with the low point in front of the ball. So if I said, okay, here's the impact conditions. Face open to the path, uh, low point in front, shallow five or six degree angle of attack. Then all of a sudden, I gave you a lob wedge and a really tight lie, okay? That's the other thing that's changed besides the normal club selection of the player over the last... 50 years is the grass has become more closely mown. So I give you a lob wedge and you're going to hit it down because with good technique, a lob wedge in my mind goes straight up in the air. I mean, if you watch honor ball here, you hit a lob wedge. It just then goes right up. Okay. Because he's got the face open to the path uh, and the angles, kind of all that. So uh, 
Well, they're going to hit a lower shot with the lob wedge. How would you do that? Well, I'm going to have the face close to the path, right? And now I might put it back in my stance, which steepens the, so now I have a steep delivery of the face close to the path and they hit this much behind it. It's just a chunk. And I think the advent of the lob wedge, which happened in the, you know, around the 80s, mid 80s, 85, uh, and tight lives, and people have a poor picture in their brain of what this impact condition should be, is really what's caused this thing that we're all dealing with as coaches now, where people really struggle around the green. So if I said, that's my starting point, okay, that's the impact condition I want. Now, how should I set up to the ball? so that I can achieve that. Well, to me, then I like, I don't really care so much about the feet, but I like the chest turned a little open. And now it makes sense to me, like if my chest is open, maybe my feet should be as well. But, you know, the golf ball doesn't know. So why? Well, as I move my chest open, uh, that helps move the low point of the swing forward. It just cheats it a little forward, as opposed to like if I was back like this, it would typically be the other way. So there's my setup, like narrow open stance, chest forward and then this is the biggest mistake amateurs make when they chip i should probably grab a sandwich hang tight i'm just yeah, gonna yeah, go a club i'm gonna grab a sandwich <laughs> so uh i was talking to this by phil rogers actually san diego native he's a legend right so if the leading edge of the club lines up with the shaft i hope that's good tv it looks like it's lining up yeah. right that's square Closed, open. So when we hit our high shot, we'll play with an open face, right? So let's just play. I'm going to play a simple little shot around the green. I don't need to open it up. I don't, all right? But I need shaftling because shaftling uh, helps me hit lower on the grooves and helps the ball spin. Helps the descent. So as I lean the shaft forward, right, and I don't allow the face to open with it, isn't that club dead shot? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, oh, but it's pointing at the pin. It's like, no, 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 no. It's the face, relatively speaking, is, is if I uh, push the handle forward in my setup, that face has to rotate right along with it. You know, it would be like, it would just go right along with it. So in my setup, the last thing I want to do is lean the shaft and then not allow the face to open up. And you guys know this is, I, you know, Quality coaches, how many tour players do you see uh, set the club down when they chip and the, it just, it's always open? Always open. All, yeah. all of them. All of them. Mm -hmm. And yet you go out uh, on the chipping green right over here and there's 10 people chipping and they have the forward shaft lane and the face is hooded. Mm -hmm. So Phil Rogers said, a square face is one that lines up with the shaft. So if you push the shaft six degrees forward, that face has got to just go right along with it. Now, I got a question for you then. You're setting up at the closed club face. You don't know it, but you are. Handle forward, you know, face turned down. How are you going to chip it straight? You got a closed club face. You're going to swing to the right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's the worst thing you can do, in my okay, opinion? Uh, closed club face, swing it to the right. And yeah. a lot of that's caused right there in the setup, like the first domino, right? So when you, you appropriately asked me, I think, okay, let's talk about setup first. Why? Because it's the first domino. If you get that wrong, you're – you got a problem. You got to create some other mistakes somewhere to make up for it. I, I, I think the listeners to this, they don't know how crucial what you just said is and how how that domino effect is. And I think for the, I, I just think of all the lessons that come to me and the, all the things that we talk about. And if somebody's um, ever hit a double hit, you know, the, right. uh, you know, we often see somebody who's double hitting it exactly where you are shut face, shaft leaning forward, and that club is swinging down the target line. So it's no it's no um, surprise that if the club and the ball are going in the same direction, there's a good chance they're going to collide. Exactly right. Exactly right. So unless you stop the club, but that case you stop that a little early, you could, I suppose, not even get to the ball, right? So, But you're right. The, the club exits back up the plane, or at least close to it, which is left of where the ball is going. So if you, you know... So I would say this, if I had a pitching wedge, so one of my favorite tricks, like if I get a young kid that they took their lob wedge or whatever, and they get this issue, in shot, the holding on, they're swinging out to the right, the contact's poor. I'd say, you know what, I'm going to give you a little exercise to do. Uh, take out your nine iron, and we're just going to 
hot balls over this little bunker here, 10 yard shot. You gotta get it over the bunker, but you gotta stop it short of that pin. Okay, so there's just a, a directive. Not no coaching. And like, I'm gonna go get a glass of water. I'll be back in five minutes. And you see, so they gotta get it over the bunker and stop it short of this pin. Well, all of a sudden their their swing direction is gonna go to the left, the face is gonna be open, they gotta release the club, they gotta do all the things I believe. And I think that's the real art of coaching is sometimes you don't have to explain anything. You just create an environment where, you know, they got to do it and say, Hey, you know, what, you, what did you learn by that experience? And then, may, then maybe you can say, okay, let's commit to these foundational pieces. We're going to have, you don't have to do it to that extreme, but you know, the club should be exiting over here. The face should be slightly open. You got to, you can't be hanging on to your release, all those, all those things. Yeah, it makes total sense. It makes total sense. It's really interesting as well because, and I've heard you talk about this as well, James. And I mean, and I do apologize. I've uh, used this many a time with lessons, but everything that you do in the setup for the short game and even in the coaching of the short game will totally mess up your long game. And I, um, and it, yeah. it is literally golfers bringing their long game, as you've said, to the short game and just creating a mini swing. It really is. And I think then your next piece is really the takeaway, right? I mean, as they take the club away, there are certain things that make you a flusher from 250 yards. You know, I get, Kurt Kitayama hits his five iron 230 yards in the air, no problem or whatever. But he couldn't he couldn't take the club back, you know, like that and hit it 230. You know, so he's got width that's turned down. You know, he's, he's loading into his right side. Everything that if you did when you chip would make you horrendous, right? You can't <laughs> load right. You can't turn the face down. You can't, you know. So you're exactly right. I think it's tough to be amazing at both if you're using the same pattern. And so one of the things I try to do is get people to understand that the goals are opposite. The impact conditions are not the same. You have to to be maximize each. You've got to understand how the club needs to work with the ball to create the flight and the and the power and the or the softness if you're talking short game uh you know so and that, that's an education process obviously yeah and patterns that you learn are not easy to you know how many people do you know that uh you might give them a little short game tip on this and then it might lead into their full swing you know so that's you got to be careful right uh, one of the tricks I use myself is when I when I want the face open to the path, I want to, the, this uh, kinetic sequence where the club is just falling and the rhythm and all that, I take my glove off. So when I'm in the bunker or I'm around the greens inside, let's say, 40-yard carry, I'm not wearing a glove. And then as soon as I put that glove on, I know I'm going to load and I'm going to turn the face down. And I'm going to be rotating and pushing through my feet and all the things that you know we would teach in a full swing. It's interesting. Great little mental cue, isn't it? That great little mental cue that I like that. It's something that I actually do that is in my game. Like if I'm sub 40, sub 50 yards, the glove is off. But I I think I've just intuitively done that in a way that's like, okay, this is finesse. I'm tapping into something a little different here. And I love that. Sometimes that little cue we often talk about um, when we want somebody to reduce distance rather than just thinking about the speed, we're like, let's let the the stance be a cue in terms of the width of your stance to go, okay, this is telling your your brain and your body that this is going to be a softer shot, whether it's on a full shot or something else. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. No, I, really, I really like that trigger. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. You got to keep it simple in your, your brain somehow. And so little things like that are, are helpful. Yeah. Hi guys, one question we get asked all the time is how can I get coaching from yourself and Pierce? Now we do coach in person at the Grand here in San Diego, but for those who can't make it in person, we've built something that's just as good. We've created the Me and My Golf Academy. This is basically our online coaching academy where we've literally poured everything that we've learned from the best players and coaches in the world on not just about how to swing it great, but also what it takes to actually play great golf and get around the golf course in in as least shots as possible, because that's really the aim. There's over 17 specific coaching plans where we actually guide you through simple lessons that we know get results. Some of the most popular ones are total driving, break 90, ultimate irons, and complete chipping. And we really believe that these are the best online courses on the planet to help your game. 
Plus, we have an amazing member community over there with loads of other benefits and discounts on some amazing brands. So if you're fed up of having too many swing thoughts and you can't figure out why you're so inconsistent and seeing no improvement, then give this a go and you can see if it's for you. Our members are seeing some incredible results in as little as only one week and we'd love to see if we can help you out with your game. So if you want to find out more, click the link in the show notes or simply download the Me and My Golf app. Let's get back to the show. And it can, it does bleed in. I mean, we had a we probably had our first. So Aaron's golf swing last year was was the worst it was just before Sawgrass last year was the worst it was for probably five years because we've been working really hard at the short game, playing some different shots, you know, creating more loft around the greens, which, as you say, is a more of a necessity on the PGA Tour versus perhaps even the European Tour. And it did, it, it affected the golf swing, you know, and then we had to, we had to get in there and do some hard work on it for the first time in probably about five years. Yeah, no, no. I had that same experience with Charlie Hoffman when I started with him in 2010. I don't coach him anymore. Last three or four years, I haven't, but I did for like eight years. And he, his bunker game was bad. His chipping was iffy. And then as he started getting the face this way, I mean, he started hitting it bad. And I'm like, hey, wait a minute. You know, you got to make certain that this is not your takeaway with your five iron. It was bleeding in. So, and you don't want to make that trade. I mean, you, you want to be skillful around the green, but it's hit, hitting the ball is, if you don't hit the ball well, it's kind of a barrier to entry to being a nice player. You know, you got to, you got to flush it. I do think it's a good thing to, I do think it's a good thing to say to golfers, you know, you know, make sure that the, that your long game and your short game is separate and understanding that if you combine the two or confuse the two, it will make you worse. And I think if golfers can think on that basis, they're going to be a lot better, but let, let's, let's James, let's just go into it again. Just some of these sort of maybe just even, cause I know there's going to be people listening to this and they're going to want to know, you know, shaft angle, at setup, ball position, weight distribution, choking down. Where do you sort of stand on those sort of things? You know, I'll just go through the whole thing of what I believe. And okay. uh, like I said, hopefully maybe uh, you can see my whole, you can't see my feet, I don't think, but I'm going to go as far as I can. All right, so uh, let's say inside 50 yards. I'm going to go yep. narrow open stance, chest, probably more important than my feet. I'm going to go forward shafting on a stock shot of maybe five or six degrees. The face lines up with it, like Dr. said, okay? In the back swing, I'm going to externally rotate my right arm, which is that. So I'm not going to have a ton of width, even though that's not a you know, breaker by any stretch. But I just don't want the face to close. So as I swing back, I want to swing on plane. Uh, that's the shaft plane is uh, uh, you know set up, and I'm just feeling like it's anything lower than my hands. The head of the club's outside of it, you know, to my hands, and of course, if it gets big enough, then it's on the other side. So it doesn't really matter that it goes back that way. The key is obviously delivery. So I want to retrace. So there's. Tempo there. I'm not firing my hips or my knees. The club's kind of just coming down. And then my lead arm and chest are just going to keep pace with the club. They keep pace with each other. They make the, the speed mirrors each other. So it's just left arm and chest. Now, if you're thinking center of mass, center of mass is over the middle of my body. My weight's fairly even. I don't mind uh, 55 or 60% left. But my lead shoulder goes down. It doesn't go across my body like the way the full swing is. It goes down. That usually will make my head go forward. Well, now the center of my mass is shifted this way. So now the weight's increased in my lead foot. And then as my chest supports the release of the club, it's rotating. Now the center of mass is even more that way. So I always talk about how the energy flows through your feet towards the pin. So it might be 60 left. 65, 70, 80, 90. And uh, if you get the uh, other people, you know, you get the the, the wrong direction, that's, that's no good. Obviously, it's a low point behind. So so that's kind of the foundational things of everything that I coach. I would say that I didn't really talk about the release. Uh, I didn't really talk about how the lead wrist, I like staying in the extension, which is a little cup there. But if I set up, with soft arms, I don't like that. You'll have a little extension in that wrist. And if I externally rotate my right arm, then it'll just be maintained. But a lot of people go, oh, boom, goes into flexion because it's good in other areas of your game. And then they dip and dive and hang on. And so if I get that toe up in the air, then what's gonna happen it, naturally, I hope, I have six degrees at setup, 
it's going to come down. I'm going to basically have six degrees of impact. And if I have, I want to hit a lower shot, easiest way is a different club, but I could also put it back if I was in firm turf, like a, maybe Ireland or someplace like that. It's going to return to 12 degrees. And if it's one degree and it's left heel and the face is wide open, you know, obviously bigger swing, but it's going to return to that same angle. And so the players I coach control their trajectories and their spins by through their setup. And they more or less, uh, with a small exception on the really high shot where they're throwing the club, but, uh, you know, you, you don't hit a low shot this way. You just put the ball further back or change the clubs. It would be, in other words, set it at six, return it to six. And I think that's a concept that most players, amateurs, uh, completely understand. But I don't think they've been thinking that way. They're like, hands ahead. You know, they're trying to uh, pinch the ball that way. Yeah. So. It's, in it's interesting you talk about the soft arms then, just for obviously anyone who's just listening to this as well and not seeing it, that, you know, your left arm, your lead arm is is as bent as the right arm, isn't it? I mean, that's, yeah. and that's, again, yeah. think about that with your driver. That probably isn't something you're looking to achieve course, in setting. <laughs> you do, yeah. And then like that, but you got to make sure that it folds on the exit. So, uh, you know, I always I like to show videos of Bobby Jones chipping and Bobby Jones in there like this, and he's, you know, super wristy. But uh, if I'm in extension of my left arm, which is the cuff, and my left elbow is soft, cut fold, well, when I come around the corner, I mean, it's still still an extension, and it's even more folded, you know. So, I don't know. I'm a big fan of like trying to keep that left arm locked and straight. That's another misconception that people have. That I guess we opened with, which is, oh, I got to have that straight left arm, and I can't break break down. It's like, no, no, you have to allow it to fold and come around your side. And yeah, it shocks me because because you watch golf on TV and nobody does that, and then there's you got people out there trying to do it. This is like, so. yeah. It's amazing how, you know, I don't know, you spent a lot of time, you know, looking at what Seve has done and you think about how he would finish the shot. It's almost like he's trying to put his hands in his pockets and, you know, he's doing the Chichi Rodriguez thing about, you know, trying to resheath the sword and things like yeah. that, letting the club drop down your left side. These are all about soft finesse, letting it fold, letting the hands be near the body after you've hit the shot. And I think that's where a lot of golfers go wrong when they're playing yeah. chip shots. And, and I, you're right. And, and um, I always tell people, like, you know, I didn't invent this method. It's just what I did is I watched amazing players that were great and go, I don't really know what I'm doing, so I'll just teach what good players do. And so that's how I kind of came up with my my system, so to speak. So, But I have videos and pictures of like Sam Sneed, and I mentioned Bobby Jones and Ben Hogan chipping. And if you just literally watch them, and partly because of the lack of a 60-degree wedge, like we had that conversation, they all allowed just what you exactly described there, soft hands, club passing, you know, narrow on the exit. They all did it. And it's shockingly somehow coaches, I think, in, in uh, probably, I don't know where, but in, in the world, I guess, uh, somehow in the 70s, 80s, 90s came up with this other stuff. Like, why didn't they just watch Sam Snead chip and say that's what you should, how you should do it? You know, I have no idea. How did that even happen? <laughs> just on a, a quick one as well, because I know this is what people will want to know this as well. Contact point on the ground. Where Obviously, with everything that we're talking about here, I know for a fact that if I've got someone who's, who's yipping it, duffing it, I want to give them as much... Um, variability on that contact point as possible on the ground what are your thoughts on that i mean well i think with good mechanics with a forgiving club where the face is open to the path and it's coming in reasonably shallow five, five or six degrees i'm not so sure you have to hit the ball first to hit a good shot i think it's okay you can hit a little bit behind it and the ball just goes you drop kick it a little bit and it goes right up by the pin obviously you want the low point if we can more in front of the ball but being steep and having you know not having a long low point where the club's not you know not changing too much is huge as far as repeatability and control you know so i don't know if i described that properly or not but that that's, yeah, no, no, that's, that makes sense yeah that makes sense. sense yeah yeah it makes sense makes sense um let's let's go into a couple more things i know we pressed the time a little bit but let's go into um let's go into some of the rough 
I think chipping off the fairway is one thing, but chipping at the rough presents a whole new uh, array of different things. Um, obviously, it's very unpredictable um, with, with what's going to happen. The, the fairways are a little bit more predictable with more control. What are the important things that gol golfers should be thinking about doing differently for them when it comes to playing the rough? Right. So first off, you need to change your expectation. Tour average fairway lie inside 30 yards proximity is 3 feet 11 inches. So you give them a fairway lie, they chip it in there like that. Uh, on the rough, depending on how far away you are, uh, you might add six or eight feet to the proximity. So it, it, it's, you know, there's an extra layer of judgment there and you're not going to get it right all the time. Uh, so in the rough, if you want to simplify it to its simplest form, and I could, you know, Brendan Todd is one of my students, he's second in proximity out of the rough, is like splash it out. Unless it's just sitting on top where you can pick it off with a less loft, like a, listen, if it's sitting on top and you have lofted club and you descend it all too steeply, you hit high, ball high in the face, it's going nowhere. So in that case, Less loft, maybe slight draw mentality, and you just kind of pick, pick it off the ground. I think that's intuitive. But if the ball's got some debris behind it, the worst thing that you could do would be, in my opinion, would be to like say, like like drag the handle across. So I always just tell people, hey, just find out here, and it just splash it. Not quite bunker splash. You don't have to have the face wide open, but you need speed kind of in front. Because if you're slowing down at all, usually the, the ref will grab the club as well. And it will grab the leading edge if it's this way. So if, if, if uh, in the simplest terms, you said, hey, what, if, what would a splashy-looking swing look like? You know, it would be out of the rough. And so there, you're right. There's grain. There's moisture in the grass. There's moisture in the ground. There's the type of grass. And there's so many variables that you have to experience to be adept at judging that but if you said you know i'm gonna other than that one lie where it's sitting up where i'm going to pick off i gotta splash it out and the big mistake i think quite honestly uh and is that they they when they practice they like tee the ball up you know they don't like that lie so they fluff <laughs> it up well i mean no you should throw them around and play them as they lie so you can experience all types of shots and uh, obviously that's the way you develop that skill set of judging is having a wide breadth of experiences. So that's where the randomness of the, that type of practice, I think, is essential. Yeah, I know that's yeah. exactly what Piers has done as well over the last um, couple of years. He's just put himself in the worst lies possible <laughs> to try and improve, <laughs> like, you know, to, to make it harder for himself. So. Yeah, and I always tell people, like, we, I have a foundational base. I have a baseline which helps me adapt, helps me adjust from the base. But yeah, you, I mean, you got to be able to put a ball in a little divot, you know, into the grain, buried, down slopes, and then you can adapt from that. And I, if, one way I always think of it is just in terms of angle of attack. So if I have a ball that's teed up or on a severe upslope, I want to shallow the delivery a little bit so I doesn't dig in. Well, maybe I just a little draw hand path. Pick it off, right? move the ball a little forward. You know, that shallows it. Or I'm going to steepen it. You know, uh, I'm on a downslope. Well, now maybe I want to have a little fade mentality or maybe uh, put the ball back. Or, you know, there's different things that you can do to change the angle of attack to, to kind of match the environment. And I want, even though we have a home base that we always go to, I want my players that I coach to be shot makers, creative, playful, you know, one hop, two hops, high one, you know, and I'm sure you feel the same way. Yeah, I, lo I love that. Yeah. I think it's it's something that um, it's nice to have that home base to come, but then you've got you've got all these different directions that you can just move off and return to whatever the situation presents, really. I think it's I think it's crucial. Exactly. And one of the things I also firmly believe is that you got to go to home base every day. You, today, tomorrow, we start over. Uh, we can begin again tomorrow. I try and make that home base check, like checkpoint A, drill B, drill C. It takes three minutes to do, but you can't skip. It's three minutes. It's your start. It's your warm-up. Because what a lot of players do is they think, well, I know it, so therefore I'm going to do it. And that's <laughs> not the case. Inactivity uh, makes people revert back to old patterns. 
So even if they know what to do, if they if they don't do it regularly, they'll revert. You know, so uh, that's why it's a three minute check. It's, I'm going to earn my way to be playful and creative by doing my home base kind of drills, so to speak. I love that. Yeah, really, really good. Anyone listening to that should be definitely taking that on board for sure. Let's let's go to the. We've got some quick fire questions, but before we do that, let's just go to the golf course a little bit. So, let's say there's, there's someone listening to this now. They've worked their technique. They go into the golf course. You know, what sort of habits can they start to use when they're out on the course playing? Whether it's from visualization, rehearsals, you know, understanding practice swings, hitting the ground, and things like that. What exactly. Sort of so now you're going off the. So, so in any shot, there's the technique, the physics, and it's important. There's the planning. you got to figure out how, how the ball is going to react or what, how much break to play or whatever, what club to use. And then there's the doing. The doing would be your focus, commitment, your your confidence, so to speak. Uh, and a lot of times the people get the planning and the doing wrong and they blame the technique. You know, they, they can't breathe. They're hyperventilating and somehow it's a technical problem. So you got to work on the whole thing. Not just so in your pre-shot process, when you're doing your random practice, maybe before you're going to the golf course, you got to have it defined and you got to have a set way to do it. And when you get in on the golf course, it's got to be the most important thing. It's got to be more important than the outcome, which is easy to say, but harder to do. But here's what I would say. And I probably tell every single student this. And it's a problem that we have as coaches because I got to get my point across from a physics standpoint without uh, creating this other issue is that thinking and sports go horrible together. Thinking about how to swing, giving yourself a command, like I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do that, ruins almost everything. It ruins the flow, the rhythm, the focus that you need to be a nice player. So thinking is bad, but what is good? Well, good sports to me are sensations, feelings that you have, and and pictures. So if you have a sensation or and a picture prior to your shot, then you can kind of just almost let them commingle without much effort. So for example, on this is something Honor Bon Lahiri works on tirelessly. Uh, let's I'll give you an example. So let's say uh, I have a destructive pattern in my chipping. I've taken a lesson. I have the knowledge, but I'm going to have to concentrate on this, or I'm not going to do it right. If so I just turn my brain off, I'll just do the other. So that's a problem. So I might go, okay, step one, design my shot. All right, I'm going to uh, hit my lob wedge, normal trajectory. I'm going to land it right by the light socket, and it's going to curve and go in. So I got my picture. And then I might, in my first practice swing, be all about technique. Okay, execution. But not uh, commands, but like a feeling. I might have a feeling in my lead shoulder kind of going up and around the corner and your feeling might be something completely different, right? So I'm like, okay, this is what it feels like. All right, now the target, and this is the energy that I'm gonna use. So now I just switched from internal to like external, thinking about the target and energy. And then here's my shot and I'm just going. So I, I built the sensation into my pre-shot routine, switched to the picture and then I just, Chuck it. I just l l let it go. And I don't think that's what people do. I think they, they're, a lot of people have been taught what to do and they're over the ball and now they're really trying to do it, you know? And I think that's, that's not where the magic happens. You can hit okay shots that way, but I don't think you can be amazing that way. You're not going to be Seve Ballesteros that way, <laughs> you know, or even your best, you know, you could say, oh. I don't think, let's say you're a five handicap. You're not going to chip it like a two handicap if you're giving yourself commands over the ball. Yeah, you know, so you so that pre-shot process, uh, the planning is so critical. I think if you're going to get the mental component right, the the what I call the doing, the focus, the commitment, the confidence, the creativity, uh, and so when we go to the course, to answer your question, I mean, it's all got to be all about that pre-shot routine, which you mastered in your random practice before you got out there. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really interesting. Um, so I was gonna say, and yeah, so I, I, one thing I did was I created a um, for my own difficulties. I created like a, a a list of order of how I actually thought back after about six or seven months of going from really bad to being <laughs> adequate. Um, but I actually really tracked it back all the steps that I took and I logged them all and I actually thought about them. And the reason I did it, I wanted to present it to our members of the website. 
and actually go, look, these are all the steps that I went through to go through this. And even, even from the point where I wasn't even in, in COVID times, we, the golf course we were at was closed, but I was just even just chipping it on the green. I wasn't even thinking about going for the hole, but everything that I did was, so for every shot I did, I pinpointed that I had to work at the technique in one of the swings. I then had to work at the feel of the tempo and for me, the big, you know, on on the on the shot, and then understanding what the shot should look like. Yeah. So you said so. Maybe you're taking three swings, or maybe you're not even taking any. But what's happening is, you see, your brain. Obviously, learning happens in your brain. It's not your muscles. So when I here, I, I'll explain it this way. Uh, when I I like to compete, I like to play. I don't have time to practice, and I don't practice. So how I practice usually is in an airplane seat. So tomorrow when I show up and I'll get on my flight, I'll close my eyes and I'll pretend I'm in the bunker or I'll pretend I'm chipping and I'm thinking, okay, there's the setup. It feels the sensation to my setup is this. And there's that club going back. I got my eyes closed and this is how, and then the delivery, boom. I know exactly what the sensations are. Well, the same part of your brain lights up there that it would be if I was actually in the bunker, right? So you before you're, you you got to have a mental checklist or you're going to revert back to your old deal. So you go through your mental checklist. It was like, this is a swing on technique. Here's the swing on rhythm. Okay, now let's get on the shot. And you've built the sensations in there, which is really just your brain, the right part of your brain lighting up. And then at some point, you got to let go and play the shot, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a subtle art, a subtle difference between thinking and having a sensation but i think it's an important one super important one i'm yeah. just imagining all the people on the plane with the <laughs> you with your eyes closed and then getting whacked oh, in the yeah. face <laughs> i can play uh, i can play five holes easily in a, in a trip and it, it makes the time go by so there go. and you never shoot bogey either which is great <laughs> <laughs> that's right I'm nothing but good shots okay brilliant let's move to the quick fire then if we can james that would be uh that'd be fantastic um five questions uh, what's the best piece of a golf advice that you've had? Uh, don't don't beat yourself up. Don't you know, I'm not a robot. Neither are you. Golf is hard. Hit a bad shot. Be resilient. Just find it and just go chip the next one in or whatever. Perfect. What's the worst golf advice that you hear? Uh, try harder. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work that way either. <laughs> Uh, what would you change about golf you know uh, tradition is such a nice part of the game and i really appreciate some of that but man uh uh allowing people to have a shirt untucked or or play music i just think it's i mean it's the right thing for the modern time right Uh, what's the best thing about golf for you the relationships and the, the experiences you have. I mean, all my f- favorite people in life, all my friends are golfers, you know, and it's, I've met them through the game. Yeah, I think exactly the same, exactly the same as us. And what would you say, final question, uh, three golf truths. What's true about golf? Uh, it's up to you. No one, no one's going to do it for you. You know, there's not a referee or a coach that can sit you or foul you out. So it's, uh, I think one amazing truth is uh, that it's 100% up to you. Another one is if the golf ball likes it, then the technique is fine. You know, uh, it's all about if the golf ball likes it. And uh, another truth would be that I think it's too expensive. And we got to we got to solve that somehow. Brilliant. Thank really, you. Really I, I love those three golf crews at the end, um, and I love the the um, if the golf ball likes it, then the technique is fine. I think that is so important for the for the listeners who are. So many people ask us, like, oh, I've done this and I'm hitting it really well. What do you think? <laughs> keep going. <laughs> <laughs> keep keep doing it. Keep doing it. Um, Look, James, thank you so much for uh, coming on today. We really appreciate your time. And as we said before, before we went on air, really, that you've been a, um, instrumental in our learning within within short game as well. And certainly you've helped Pierce. He still needs a little bit more help. So he might he might need to come and see you in person, I think. 
for that last little bit. How do, how do you figure out this California rough, eh? It's <laughs> tough. <laughs> yeah, the Poana rough is, is a challenge. And for, for the listeners to this, James, where can they go and, and find you and, and, and sort of get to know more about you? Yeah. Uh, you know, if you want to know all the ins and outs of everything I teach technique-wise, uh, I've written three books. So they go to Amazon and search my name and you'll see a chipping book, a putting book, and one called Cool Under Pressure, which is on, on your mind. Uh, you can go to my website, jscgolfacademy.com, and they can there's videos they can watch there and there's everything. Basically, you want to contact me, you can contact me from the site. Brilliant. And we'll put the links in the um, in the show notes underneath anyway, so they can uh, they can do that, which is uh, which is fantastic. James, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, I don't know. There's going to be lots in this that people can take from it to to hopefully get better. Um, I hope yeah. so. I hope somebody out there picked one thing up that'll help them. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Cheers, James. Thank you. So how good is that, Andy? That was awesome. I think, you know, there's so many things that you can listen to. You're definitely worth listening to that again and picking up some of those nuggets. I just love the fact that everything that you do in your short game will mess up your long game and vice versa. And I think if golfers can have that mindset, they're going to have better short games when they get out there. And it was great having him on here because obviously he's helped me out so much and helps us out with our content for sure and our coaching, but definitely helped me out personally as well. So it was great having him on, Andy. Yeah, and I think it's just something that we know that is such an important part of the game. And I don't think there's a golfer that comes to us who we don't do a lot of the things that, that James has just talked about, you know, whether it's speed, whether it's setup, whether it's club face, whether it's tempo. Um, there's always things that really we can see to get better at with the short game because it's so different and there's a lot of different variabilities in it as well. So I think it's just a, an important part of the game that golfers could really pay more attention to if they wanted to really significantly make a big impact on their scores, certainly on the bad days. You know, if we have a bad day missing greens, we can still have a decent day when it comes to the scores if we have a short game that enables us to to get up and down and, and recover, which is which is such an important part. But no, great to have him on. Definitely like to do some stuff in the future in video with him. Um yeah. look, guys, hope you enjoyed that. I mean some 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 key lessons in short game there. So I hope you um you got some valuable things. Uh, and look, if you want more on short game and you want to see, you want to put some videos to the 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 thoughts there and what we discussed, we've got our plan, complete chipping, which we cover a lot of the things that James has gone into there as well. Um, we talk about all the different lies. We talk about a lot of the different technique things, the drills that all accompany that really. Very, very simple. But if you want to work through that, it's all sort of tells you exactly how to practice and um, I guarantee if you go through it, you'll see some really big benefits of that as well. So make sure you check that out. I'll put the link in the description underneath. Um, but yeah, until next week, guys, thanks so much for listening. And we'll uh, we'll speak to you soon.